G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. We're concluding our series about world religions by focusing on Islam. Hi and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. Last time, Pastor Jeff unpacked the history of Islam and its beginnings. And today we'll hear about how those beginnings influence the religion in the modern day as we continue our series about modern spirituality. First of all, what is it that Islam believes? And it's important for you to follow here because it's going to explain a lot about the dilemma that we have today between the moderates in Islam and the extremists. This is Today with Jeff Vines. Well, good morning, everybody. Turn over in your Bible, if you will, to Romans chapter 10, verse 1. I want you to hold that. We'll get to that momentarily as we're in this series on world religions. And remember, we said we're doing it because we want to contrast and compare Christianity, what Jesus taught, with the other major religions of the world, not in an effort to sling mud at anybody, but to contrast and compare so that we may be better educated about what others believe and about what we ourselves believe. Now, just quickly, I was speaking at Western Christian High School this past week and uh, uh, in the chapel, and a young girl who will remain nameless came up to me and told me how frustrated she was about her mother. And this is typical of what I find today. Her mother believes basically that all religions are fundamentally the same. They're all the same. And so anytime somebody tells me that, as I told you before, It reminds me of two things. Number one, the person is either ignorant, and I say that in a nice way, because if you know anything about world religions, you know that they are not fundamentally similar. They are fundamentally different, only superficially similar. The second thing usually is when a person says this, it's because they really don't want to have to choose anyone. Because when I ask a person, okay, you believe that all religions are fundamentally the same, which one are you following? The response 99.9% of the time is this, well, none. I'm not following any. You see, if I believe they're all the same, I don't have to choose. And even more importantly, I can create my own religion if they're all the same, which inevitably is what happens. You create God in your own image. You tell God, this is what I think you ought to be like. This is how I think you ought to operate in the world. And it ends up, you have your own religious system. Now, my point is always, what if you're wrong? What if you've created God in your own image and God is just simply not like that? And you're basing your whole eternal destiny and the way you live your life now on the basis of something you feel internally that may not correspond to what is objectively true, that what corresponds with reality. Now, Jesus said, I remember, and the Old Testament reminds us that God says that you will find him when you seek him with all of your heart, when it's the pursuit of your life. The other thing that her mother said was that she... Uh, likes all religions, the only ones she doesn't like are those that are exclusive. Now, would somebody please show me an inclusive religion? 
Because truth by nature is exclusive. Religions are born out of the rejection of a previous religion. That's why they formed their own. Truth by nature is exclusive. There is no such thing as an inclusive religion. They don't exist. When somebody says that I know what they mean, it's this. Well, as long as everybody says that everybody goes to heaven. Now, this is where I really like the exclusivity of Christianity. Because it is the only religion that tells you you're accepted by God on the basis of faith. That you come to Christ through grace and you believe that grace through faith. This is the thing that I will... I will draw this graph probably until I die. (laughs) Because if you believe that you go to heaven on the basis of how good you are, then my question is, where's the cutoff point? Does God grade on a curve? And what happens on the day of judgment if you get in line behind Mother Teresa? You see, everybody thinks they're going to get in line behind Hitler. And so that you, and to Hitler, you look pretty good. And where's the cutoff line? If you're going to be saved by works, which is what other, every other religion in the world tells you, Where's the cutoff line? What if you think it's 51% and God says, oh, I'm sorry, it's actually 52. You just missed it by 1% and I'll go to hell. Where's the system? If God is going to hold me responsible, he's got to reveal his plan. And that's why your understanding as the Bible, as the word of God is so crucial. God has revealed his plan and this won't get it done. You're saved by grace through what Jesus did on the cross by faith in his atoning sacrifice. Now, I want to say much more about that, but I'm already behind. Uh, We're concluding our series about world religions by focusing on Islam. I can't do a review of last week because it would take too much time. So we're going to have to hurry. Here we go. In your bulletin outline, I want to ask two questions and then make my final argument. The two questions, first of all, what is it that Islam believes? What do Muslims believe? And in your bulletin, I've listed the six articles of faith. Let me tell you to them quickly. And it's important for you to follow here because it's going to explain a lot about the dilemma that we have today between the moderates in Islam and the extremists. Number one, the first article of faith is there is no God but Allah. Now, just quickly, notice how exclusive that is. There is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. Last week, we learned that Muhammad... Uh, was heavily influenced by the Christians up in Syria as he would take the caravan trips. We learned that his God in the Qaris tribe to which Muhammad belonged was the moon God, Allah. He was impacted by the Christians. He was born into an Arab world that had 360 gods. He was impacted by the Christians. He liked the idea of one God. So he chose the one God from his tribe, the Qaris tribe, Allah, the moon God. Now this is where all this conflict begins because in the early days, Muhammad was not accepted by his own people as a prophet. And so when he started telling them that there's only one God, Allah, they questioned his office or claim to the office of prophecy. And he said, ask the Christians and the Jews up in Syria, and the Arabs did. And Muhammad did not get the intended response or the expected response because they said that Muhammad is an idolater and Allah deserves no praise and worship or service. At that point, Muhammad was angry and in Surah, remember what a Surah is, it's a chapter in the Quran, and Surah 4, 42 says that Muhammad cursed the Jews in the name of Allah, that he preached hatred and damnation upon those who reject Islam, and he began to urge his followers to have nothing to do with Christians. Let me quote it to you, or unbelievers or Jewish people. O believers, Surah 556, take not the Jews or Christians as friends, they are but one another's friends. 
If any one of you taketh them for his friend or friends, he is surely one of them. God will not guise the evildoer. And then in Surah 9, 5, the most quoted verse by extremists, but when the forbidden months are past, then fight and slay the pagans wherever you find them and seize them, beleaguer them, and lie in wait for them in every stratagem of war. In fact, listen now, militant Islam often uses the last words of Muhammad before he died as proof that Islam should be a violent religion. He says, O Lord, perish the Jews and the Christians. Beware there should be no two faiths in Islam. So the first article of faith, and notice it's exclusivity. And again, remember what I said last week, not everybody in America who wears a turban is a terrorist building a bomb. I'm just saying that extreme Islam, number one, Allah is the only God, Muhammad is his prophet. That is the first article of faith. This is Today with Jeff Vines. Today we're hearing about how Islam impacts us in today's society. Not everyone is a terrorist in the world's second biggest religion. Let's continue with Pastor Jeff. Second article of faith. Muslims believe the Quran is the most holy book. The Quran is the most holy book. What I mean by that is there are other holy books as well in Islam, but they are all under the authority of the Quran. And like I said last week, it is interesting to note that Islam agrees that the Bible is the word of God. But when it conflicts with the Quran, they say the Bible has been changed. Even though they offer no proof that it's been changed. Now, let me just say this. Folks, accuracy in antiquity is a science. It's not subjectively founded. I cannot go into that every sermon. Because the real question is, where is our authority? If you want to dig deeper into why we can trust today, listen, it is a science that we can trust what we read today in the Bible is what was originally written. It's not something we arrive at by subjectivity. If you're more interested in those arguments and understanding the science of classifying old books of literary antiquity, then you can go pick up Lee Strobel's A Case for Christ that you'll find in our bookstore. Or if you really wanna go deep into it and answer all your questions, you can buy Josh McDowell's work, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. But I can't deal with that in every sermon. But I find this argument from Islamic scholars that the Bible has been changed, very interesting. Because in my debates, that accusation comes up and take that now in light of the Islamic doctrine of abrogation. Let me define it for you. The Quran is unique among sacred scriptures in teaching a doctrine according to which later pronouncements of the prophet abrogate, declare null and void his earlier pronouncements. The importance of knowing which verses abrogate others has given rise to the Quranic science known as Nashik wa Masuk, the abrogators and the abrogated. Now, if that confuses you, let me clarify it for you. Islam calls the Quran the most perfect book. But Muhammad had later visions that corrected or abrogated previous visions. No, I'm not talking about clarifying them. I'm talking about abrogation. Now, you see the problem? How can the Quran claim to be the perfect book if it keeps changing? Was Gabriel, the archangel, confused the first time? Did Muhammad not hear him correctly? And how do I know that Muhammad is hearing him correctly now? And what I read today is correct and it won't change. Now, that's important. And I don't say that to sling mud at the Quran or Islam. I say it to help us understand what's happening today because this is where the debate begins. On the one hand, the extremists use passages from the Quran and the Hadith, which is a commentary on the Quran, to justify mass murder. 
But the moderates come along and say to the extremists that Muhammad abrogated the original command or teaching of conversion by warfare and the sword. Again, the most often quoted verses in the Quran supporting or using, uh, used by the extremists supporting the use of force and world domination is Surah 9.5. But when the forbidden months are past, then fight and slay the pagans wherever you find them and seize them, beleaguer them, and lie in wait for them in every stratagem of war. Now, when the extremists quote this, the moderates come and tell them that they're quoting it out of context. When they do that, though, the extremists respond by saying, hey, this is not the only proof that Islam is a violent religion. Then they began to recount other historical events in the life of Muhammad that is quoted today by Muhammad's biographers. Remember, they have more than one holy book. And in these other holy books, we learn more about the life of Muhammad. And this one account that they quote is an account in which Muhammad, the prophet, oversaw the slaughter of hundreds and hundreds of the enemies in Medina. Here's the quote out of the commentary. The apostle, that is Muhammad of Allah, may Allah bless him, sat with his companions and they were brought in small groups their heads were struck off. They were between 600 and 700 in number. Now this is key because where the extremists are concerned, the actions of Muhammad combined with the aggressive passages in the Quran convince the extremists in Islam that Islam is a violent religion. It is to be taken by force. Now I've been doing a monthly interview with Frank Pastore over at KKLA. And I had my latest interview this past Thursday Frank and I started to discuss this on air and we talked about Islam. He told me that he has an Islamic cleric or scholar come on the show regularly and this cleric made this statement that radicals have hijacked the religion of Islam for power and political purposes. Frank and I both agree with that. That is true. However, it is important to know that the radicals or the extremists feel that they are justified in what they're doing and they base their feelings on the objective truth as they see it in the Quran. Now, I want to acknowledge that the debate between the extremists and the moderates will continue. I know that, and I'm pulling for the moderates to win. But in the meantime, to say that Islam in its radical form does not concern me would be like sticking my head in the sand and hoping all the storms will go away. And as I will show momentarily, the conflict is real and it's escalating in places in the world. Third article of faith, Muhammad is Allah's greatest prophet. Islamic literature, Muhammad is Allah's greatest prophet. Islamic literature says that Allah sent thousands of prophets. Jesus is one of those prophets Allah sent, but Muhammad is the greatest prophet. Now, I can't go into this because of time. I'm going to give you a little taste of it. In a conversation I had with someone in Islam in Savannah, Georgia, I asked him a question. I said, I want you to help me harmonize something because I know that Islam teaches that Jesus is a less prophet than Muhammad. But here's my problem. How can I harmonize that statement with this? In the Quran, it teaches that Jesus was virgin born. Number two, the Quran also teaches that Jesus was sinless. And Islam also teaches that, or Muhammad taught that Jesus was always right in what he taught. Now, you think about Islam admits that Muhammad had 13 wives and cohabitated with 22 other named women when the Quran only allows four wives, that he led a violent campaign, that he killed and slaughtered hundreds of people. So how can you say that Muhammad is a greater prophet than Jesus who lived a sinless life, who was virgin born, and who was always right in what he said? This is some of the incoherence that exists 
in Islam, in my opinion. Now, this is also a common thread among religious systems. They want to honor Jesus, but at the same time, they want to make him less than he is. That's what Jehovah Witnesses do. That's what the Mormons do. But as C.S. Lewis has pointed out, you have to understand what you're confronted with in the man Jesus. You cannot call Jesus simply a good man. That won't work. Because a good man doesn't tell lies. And Jesus said he came to atone for the sins of the world. Jesus said he was going to resurrect from the dead. He said before Abraham was, I am. He is God in the flesh. He is eternally existing. So you can't just say Jesus was a good man and leave it at that. Either he's the Lord of the universe or he's the biggest liar who ever lived. Or he's delusional. He thinks he is, but he's not. He's mad. But you simply can't call Jesus a good man and leave it at that. Now, number four. Muslims believe in angels of Allah, that Allah has ministering servants on the earth. Number five, Allah has predetermined all things by unchangeable decree. Like I said, he's the God of Nike. Just do it and don't ask questions. And number five, there is a day of judgment when all the dead will be raised to stand trial before Allah and they will be judged according to their works. Now, this is some of the incoherency. Remember I told you it is false to assume that Islam is a works-based religion. Because Allah is impersonal. He cannot be influenced by anything that you do. His will is arbitrary. Whether you go to heaven or not is entirely up to him. That's what they say on the one hand. But yet on the other hand, an article of faith says that they will all stand before the judgment of Allah and will be judged according to their works. So how can I harmonize those two? Those are the six articles of faith. We could go deeper into them, but I think you get the gist of it. Now, the second question I want to answer, that is what a Muslim believes. Now, what does a Muslim do? That's where these five articles of faith come into being. A good Muslim will do the following things. Number one, these are called the pillars of Islam. He will recite the Islamic declaration of faith known as the Shahada. And it says, there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. Now that's not intrinsically bad. It's not wrong to state the confession of faith. We do it as Christians. Before you're baptized, we ask you to repeat the good confession, we call it. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I've accepted him as my Lord and Savior. So in the same way we have our statement of faith, a good Muslim will recite the pillars of Islam. The first, re re or, sorry, will participate in the five pillars of Islam. And the first is to recite the Islamic declaration that there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. Number two, a good Muslim will pray five times daily. These are prescribed formulaic prayers at dawn, at noon, in the afternoon, at evening and night, you will pray the prayers given to you. And when somebody says to me that the only reason Muslims pray is out of fear, that's not right. A good Muslim prays, yes, out of fear of Allah, but he also has a respect and a reverence for Allah, and that's why he bows five times. Now, let's face it. How many of you Christians pray five times a day? It's just something you ought to think about. They bow toward Mecca. Because Muhammad, while leading these violent campaigns from Mecca, changed the direction of prayers from Jerusalem to Mecca. So when they bow, they face toward Mecca. Number three, a good Muslim will also practice the giving of alms to the poor. Giving of alms to the poor. Now, this is not uh, a tithe like we have in Christianity. This is a 2.5% tax on your annual income and property. Give alms to the poor. It's not the same as a tithe. Number four, 
You will participate in a month of fasting called Ramadan. This fast allows you to eat at night, but not during the daytime. And this feast, or fast rather, which either way you look at it, commemorates the alleged first revelation that came to Muhammad from the archangel Gabriel in 610 AD. So number five then, every Muslim must make a journey to Mecca at least once in his life. This is a purifying journey. No guarantee now that you will be made right with Allah, but it's a journey unless you've got a great excuse and you, it's just impossible for you to make the pilgrimage. Every practicing Muslim will practice the five articles of, or the five pillars of Islam and the fifth being he will make a journey to Mecca at least once in his life. Now that's the belief system. I don't think I need to say anything more about that, but here's what I want you to notice. I'm gonna be aggressive here, but I'm gonna be straight with you. Notice that everything in Islam originates from one man convulsing in a cave. Two, he's a man that led violent campaigns in an effort to force conversion to a particular faith. Number three, a man who performed no miracle, struggled with sin like the rest of us, and ultimately desired to conquer the world through force for Allah. And five, told us that the God, the moon God, who is not the moon God today, but Allah is impersonal, guarantees no salvation, and relegates Jesus to a good man with no saving power. Now you'll pardon me if I say, now wait a minute. In the same way that Islam gets a little upset and defensive when I talk about Muhammad, now don't I as a Christian have the right to get a little defensive when you devalue my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who died on the cross for my sin? And so my point is, that there's a stark contrast between the life of Jesus and Muhammad admitted by Muhammad in the Quran. Thanks for joining us on Today with Jeff Vines. We'll have to leave it there for today, but our exploration of Islam in the modern day will continue next time, so I hope you can join us then. No, not everybody who wears a turban in America is a terrorist building a bomb in a garage. But if you think I'm gonna put my head in the sand and not talk about what's happening with my brothers and sisters and all over the world at the hands of Islamic regimes, you're sadly mistaken. And if that's offensive, let me tell you I'm offended for my brothers and sisters who are dying. Today with Jeff Vines, just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.